Hey everybody, this is Nick Padiak. You're listening to I'll Be Damned. Uh, and yeah, you are right. I, I am putting these out at a snail's pace. This is my first published chat, published podcast in about three months. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of how it's been going. You know, I, I get busy. Uh, and this this goes on the back burner. I was I was in a show. I've, I've been doing some freelance work. Been been doing a lot of stuff. And this podcast has unfortunately taken a back seat. And uh, I'm I'm trying to resolve not to do that. I I really enjoy doing this. I love doing the podcast. I love the fact that you are listening to this right now, whoever you are. And uh, I want want to keep doing it. So I will continue to do so. So thanks for sticking with me. Um, today's guest is Rendell Stockman. I interviewed him in Eastport, Maine when I was down there uh, over the summer in June. That, that's It's also where I interviewed my last two guests, uh, BJ, Bill Johnson, and, and Janice Wright-Cheney. Uh, Rendell is actually the next-door neighbor of BJ, uh, who was our host along with his wife Mary in, in Eastport. Um, he's an interesting guy, really interesting dude. Uh, he's got some good stories, including a ghost story, which is always exciting. And uh, I, I hope you enjoy it. So thanks, as always, to Matt Pickett for the I'll Be Damned theme song and to Alex Johnson for the cover art. And here it is. Enjoy my chat with Rendell Stockman. First of all, I don't even know how to spell your name. How do you spell uh, it? R-E-Y-N-D-E-L-L. Mm-hmm. And then S-T-O-C-K-M-A-N. Stockman. Which right. actually, the, my, uh, apparently uh, my relatives came over from Germany and they dropped the one in. Oh, it used to be double N at the end of yeah, Stockman? Yeah, I see. Yeah, so, so you're German heritage? I guess. Yeah. I uh I just found that out a few years ago. My uh, uh, dad had some relatives that actually start, uh, which that's actually uh, interesting. We don't come from a very respectable family. How so? Uh, well, uh, there's a, a group of Stockmans that apparently they came over, they settled in uh, Georgia, and then they moved to Texas, okay. a, a part of them. And... Uh, the at one point there was uh which would have been something like my great 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 grandfather i guess this is back in the mid uh 1800s mm-hmm. uh actually uh a posse was coming after him for not real sure this all in the newspaper so it's apparently oh. legit in and Texas? so he ambushed them and killed all of them Whoa! Yeah, and and <laughs> and uh, you know, so I that's uh, if I I you know thought if I ever go nuts, uh, it must be in my blood. Yeah, it's in your genes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, so uh, that yeah. was was that in Texas? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And is that yeah. where you uh, were raised? Is that no, where... no, I uh, grew up in uh, Hera, Oklahoma, which is like twenty miles east of Oklahoma City. Okay. Uh, yeah, a small community, kind of like Eastport here. Yeah. Only, uh, well, we only had a thousand. Mm. Uh, that is small. And, yeah. Wow. And, uh, but yeah, it was, it was okay. Yeah. What was that like growing up there? Uh, very quiet. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, nobody locked their doors back then. Uh, uh, you know, my mother never worried about me after school because they were, you couldn't get into trouble anywhere. <laughs> I mean, it was it was very quiet. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was, uh, you know, it was a very uh, idyllic childhood from that standpoint. On the other hand, uh, there was not a lot of opportunities mm -hmm. uh, that existed. Uh, and... Uh, so, you know, you have to, I mean, I, I never feared for anything, but on the other hand, there was things that would have been better if, if there would have been some stuff going on, because there wasn't anything yeah. going on. So by the time you, did you stay there all through high school? Yeah. And by the time you graduated, were you yeah. itching to get out of there? There were 39 of us. Oh, wow. And uh, 20, what, 24, 25. Uh, were classmates for 12 years. Wow. And we also had, it was a Polish community. Mm. Uh, they were farmers and they came over and settled. And so I heard uh, Polish being spoken uh, a lot when I was, you know, growing up because mm. they were still, a lot of them never learned English. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, but uh, yeah, it was interesting. Uh, I mean, we, uh, There was a, uh, the Catholic uh, Church was obviously, since the Polish was, mm. you know, Catholic, uh, they had their own school uh, up to the eighth, through the eighth grade. And then at the ninth grade, uh, all of those kids came over. So mm -hmm. we considered them uh, classmates for 12 years also. It didn't matter. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's, uh, that's how that but yeah, I, I uh, left after yeah. after there. Yeah. yeah. And where'd you go after that? Well, I, uh, actually, I went to college, uh, and then after I stopped doing that, I uh, well, I got married and moved to Denver. Okay. And where'd you go to college? Uh, at the University of Oklahoma the first okay. time. Go Sooners. Yeah, and then uh, uh, at Oklahoma City University. Mm. I was in music, uh, okay. So, uh, but uh, and then uh, we lived in Denver, uh, and mm. that was nice. But, and what brought you to Denver? Uh, actually, I don't know. I mean, we just decided uh, we wanted out of Oklahoma. Yeah. You know, and uh, we did know uh, a couple that lived in in Denver as a friend of the family's, mm -hmm. and so we just. Uh, Moved. And now you have to keep in mind, we're talking uh, six, 1968, 69, mm -hmm. so there was a lot of turmoil yeah. going on. Uh, and fact, what, what were you doing for work at that time? Uh, well, I, uh, I just uh, got a job at a paper company, mm -hmm. uh, and then I went back to school. And uh, But, you know, there, there were a lot of demonstrations in downtown Denver. Uh, and uh, but it wasn't as bad. I mean, uh, that whole era back then is uh, kind of there, but not really. It's interesting. I uh, started listening to on the car radio. I had that uh, Cirrus, mm -hmm. and uh, listening to the songs in the '60s, 
and suddenly it brings back all of those old memories of stuff uh, that you just kind of put back in the back of your mind. And, uh, but uh, yeah, and that was kind of not beautiful uh, living up there back then. Now apparently it's overrun by people, but yeah. we didn't have. So were you involved in any of the demonstrations? That uh, were one demonstration uh, that uh, I was a marshal and wore an armband. Uh, How did you get that <clears throat> job? Well, I, I don't know. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> I, the, the thing was that, uh, oh, what's her name? Uh, the, the actress that was real. Jane uh, Fonda? Yeah, mm -hmm. she came. Wow. And, oh. and uh, that was, you know, they were really expecting a lot of trouble because at that time she'd already uh, talked about North Vietnam and and all that, uh, but it was quiet. I mean, you know, I stood on the uh, side of the street and people just marched by. There wasn't any violence or anything, yeah. so. Yeah. But it was quite large. I mean, it lasted all day, just about, hmm. so, but. Uh, so then where did you go from, from Denver? How did you uh, get? Let's see. Well, then I uh, joined the Navy for a while and uh well hang on hang on let's stop there that seems that's a pretty big well, I, that's a pretty big uh, leap yeah actually uh there wasn't anything really going on at the time i mean i wasn't involved in anything and i uh had uh, decided that music wasn't what i really wanted to be in and so i just up and joined the navy was this uh, during wartime no, well, I was still in the Vietnam era, yeah. so was, uh, but you know that that was different back then, uh, and uh, I uh, was on a submarine for a while, and uh, decided that I really messed up, and so I oh, no. uh, got a well. That's kind of, uh, I mean, back then there was uh, you could get out of the navy. Uh, what had happened was I had uh, auditioned for the Navy band. I was accepted, but the submarine service wouldn't let me out. So uh, I thought, well, uh, that's enough to, you know, yeah. Uh, so then we uh, came back and uh, was living in Hawaii then. Because you were stationed uh, there? Yeah, okay. yeah, and came back and... Uh, uh, that's when I really got involved in music, and I went to OCU, and uh, which was a music school. I mean, okay. they, uh, back then, and uh, and then uh, I decided that okay, I was ready, so I moved to Reno and joined the union out there, and was uh, trying to break into the house bands. And what and, in what capacity were you in music? Were you playing an yeah, instrument? Uh, what? Yeah, I was a reed man. I, saxophone, clarinet, and flute. Okay. Uh, and I also, uh, well, back up a little bit. Every time I, when I was going to college, I uh, played bassoon, uh, which I still do to this day. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm involved in an orchestra mm -hmm. up here. But uh, so I, I got out to Reno, and I found out that uh, those are great musicians out there. And... Uh, so uh, 
that was the end of the music career. I just completely dropped it. So they were great musicians and you weren't? Is yeah, that what you're saying? Yeah, I decided that I wasn't uh, uh, that great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How was that for you? Well, at, at first it was kind of uh, sad, but uh, for 35 years I never played uh, anything. Hmm. And After uh, that? Yeah, yeah. Really? I just completely, I wouldn't even go listen to uh you know, some group that came into town or anything. Yeah, was it's it, just, uh, uh, I'd had it, you know. Was that, it too painful, or was it just yeah, that it was a yeah, chapter that was gone? Well, it, both. I, yeah. I think it, it was time to move on, and, and uh, uh, that's just what I did. I always felt like that, because I, I loved playing jazz, hmm. and I always felt like that uh, if I went and heard uh, live bands, uh, then that really would make me feel sad that mm -hmm. my career hadn't gone into that that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so yeah, I, I didn't uh, play anything. Wow. Uh, just completely walked away from it. That sounds so, rough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it was. But then I I uh, uh, went back to uh, school and uh, found that I had uh, uh, the ability to do photographs. Mm. So I beca uh, became an architectural photographer. Architectural photographer, yeah. okay. So. That's what my profession was for the last 30 years. Wow, so, yeah. and had you had an interest in photography before that? Not really, I mean, uh, I, uh, Actually, no, because I never even, I did get a camera uh, when I was in the, the military at, to just take, you know, uh, photos. Mm -hmm. And uh, now we're talking back when you had film. Sure, yeah. Uh, and uh, so it was, it was a lot different uh, then. But uh, I uh, took a, uh, a film course uh, and... Uh, I really enjoyed, it was a, a movie course. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, took a still photography course and the professor that uh, gave that, he uh, said, well, you apparently have an eye for this, so why don't you take the do the lab for us? And so the next semester I just did the photography lab and uh, that's all it took, I guess, was somebody to say, hey, you're good at, at this. And, yeah. And, and it was off and running from there. And it must have sparked some sort of passion in yeah, you. Yeah, well, it, it did. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I uh, First of all, I worked for uh, a, a magazine. Uh, well, I actually, I had a, a small studio, and I was doing just whatever showed up. Mm -hmm. But then I got this uh, magazine that was, it was a, a, a builder's uh, house, home builder's. Um, magazine and it, it was kind of fake because it the construction person the contractor would actually pay to get their place in the magazine ah, you know uh -huh. but uh, I would go out and photograph uh, uh, houses and uh, it was just me I, I mean there was no people involved you know I'd work all night long and hmm. set the lights up and all that so that I uh, that was the spark that I thoroughly enjoyed. So then I just decided architecture was it. So and why why architecture? 
Well, I guess because, uh, you know, I ha didn't have to really deal with, uh, like I used to shoot, uh, did a lot of fashion mm -hmm. before the architecture, and you know, it's always dealing with people, uh, <laughs> you know. They, uh, they wouldn't hold still or, you know, whatever. I mean, it just, uh, and this was, uh, you know, buildings don't move generally. Yeah, you don't have uh, that problem. Yeah, yeah. so uh, uh, that's, uh, I enjoyed that, and uh, I, I just uh, took it and, and uh, actually made a pretty good career out of it. Yeah, you know? is that, I don't know much about the, the field, that specific niche of the field, were you one of... Hundreds of people doing that in the country? Or no, did you no, no. A... There wasn't a lot of us okay. back then, especially. Mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, with digital, it's all changed. Uh, but uh, back then, you, I, I used a 4 by 5 camera. Uh, you know, it'd take like two or three hours to set up a shot. You'd use uh, Polaroids to make sure that everything was, you know, in place. Cords were hit. All, I mean... It was it was more of an art back then. Mm -hmm. There wasn't anything as Photoshop. You uh, when you shot the transparency, that's exactly you know. I mean, you could airbrush some of the stuff out, but that was very expensive. So you pretty much had to get exactly what you needed to do on site, mm -hmm. and uh, that that was more of the challenge. Uh, you know, you would set a shot up, look at the Polaroid, uh, make sure that, you know, I, I specialize mostly in restaurants. Mm -hmm. And you had to set the tables up, make sure all the silverware, napkins, everything was just in place. And, uh, and you know, that, plus you had to get the, uh, obviously you had to get the, the design that the architect or the interior designer had produced, uh, otherwise it, you know, it wouldn't make any sense. So, mm -hmm. uh, but from that aspect, it, it was challenging, and and uh, I really enjoyed it. Of course, you never got to start working until after the place closed, and oh, that's like yeah. two a.m. Oh wow! You know, so, so it's a lot of late nights for you. Oh yeah, yeah. Almost all of that stuff was all night long. Yeah, yeah. and now. Uh, you said you had gotten married before. Did you yeah. have kids at no, this time as no well? Children. Okay, no children. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'm interested in the artistry of this and the way that you know. Obviously, you you've made you made a good living. This is a very nice mm -hmm. house. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> yeah. So I'm interested in the artistry of architectural photography. You know, you mentioned you got you've got you've got to capture what the architect was doing. Yeah. What do you think you brought to it? What is the eye that you brought to it that was well, special? Well, I think it's it's kind of uh, like anything else. If you take, uh, well, for example, an architect, they live with that project. You know, they design it. Uh, and after months and months, and then they go through the construction phase, they're fed up with it. Uh, a lot of times, a photographer will come in and see what their original concept was, but they'd forgotten all about it. You know, I remember I photographed a uh, uh, a very large uh, uh, field house, as uh, more like a yeah. I guess it was a you could consider a field house for a uni at a university. It's where their basketball team played, and they had uh, you know major concerts in there. And when I sent the uh, 
transparencies back, the, the guy that designed it, the architect, called up and said, God, I had no idea that that was there. Well, he, he did. It was like two years before mm -hmm. and going through all the headaches and everything. So that's what the, uh, an architectural photographer's job was, was to capture what uh, the architect had done, or like an interior designer, what, what they felt like, you know, was uh, supposed to be there. And you could put it on film. I mean, keep in mind, we're talking uh, two-dimensional and making a three-dimensional item out of it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of techniques that you can make a building come to life three-dimensional, whereas the naked eye will see it, but on paper you don't. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so that basically is, you know, what the, you're supposed to be doing. And uh, some people, uh, you know, they would just go, nowadays, I guess it's just more like snapping shots because you don't have to worry about setting anything up and then you go back and use your computer and mm -hmm. take care of all those problems. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it, I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. And fortunately, I retired uh, and before the, uh, actually right when the digital uh, came in and uh, all the labs closed. Yeah. Uh, so did you get to travel around quite a bit for that as well? Yeah, uh, somewhat. Uh, uh, I worked mostly out of Boston and, uh, and back in the Midwest uh, and out of D.C. Okay. Uh, some, so, yeah, yeah it was, it was uh, enjoyable. And I, I think you mentioned last night you were with a, a magazine for a time, but did, you were a freelancer as well for a while? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, how did I, that work? Well, uh, I mean, that basically is what I was, is uh, doing architecture. I just worked for uh, architects and interior designers. And, you know, uh, I mean, I was had my own business, so uh, they would contact you and uh, say, you know, we've got this project, uh, go photograph it. And that's uh, so. And, and those images obviously would be a lot of times submitted to magazines mm -hmm. and they would publish them. Uh, so uh, that, uh, that's how the, the magazine worked. Now, uh, sometimes, you know, you just get an assignment to go photograph something for a magazine and, and that's it. Uh, and it didn't in, involve either the architect or the designer. Mm -hmm. uh, they just want uh, something in. Or you do a lot of uh, uh, photos for companies that, like, you know, they build a building and they need now to advertise it to get it filled up, mm -hmm. office buildings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. so, uh, and you did that for, for how long? Uh, let's see, about 30 years. Yeah. Okay. And so you mentioned uh, last night that you seem to have gotten an opportunity to travel around quite a bit. You went to Russia. It seems like you've, yeah. you've been kind of all over. How did, how did that come about? Was that in retirement? Well, that was, uh, that was in 87 uh, to go to, to Russia. And I had gotten two different magazines that wanted two totally foreign, uh, uh, I mean, two different types of, of shots. 
Uh, one was for a tapestry show that was being done at the uh, American Embassy residence and uh, at the ambassador's house. And the other one was this magazine wanted an underground nightclub photographed over there. Now, we're in 87, and so it's still communist. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't supposed to be any underground nightclubs over there. Uh, but interesting enough, on the flight over, I talked to a, uh, uh, a diplomat's wife that was going back to Moscow. And uh, she said, well, I've heard of this rest, uh, this nightclub that's kind of off the grid. And she gave me the name of it. And so uh, that's how I got photographed that. But of course, the embassy, you know, you just called up as our embassy and, yeah. and went over and, and did that uh, tapestry show that was there. But uh, so, yeah, that was... Uh, that was thoroughly enjoyed. I, you know, obviously went to four different cities in Russia, and uh, and uh, you know, it was very nice. And did you did you get assignments like that pretty often when you would go to far flung not, locales? No, not really, no. not a lot. Uh, I uh, knew a magazine editor that she was uh, freelance, and she did a lot of travel things. Uh, and so once we went to Paris and photographed the, the only Mexican restaurant <laughs> in Paris that uh, a guy from New Mexico had opened up. And the uh, uh, strange thing about that was all the food had to be flown in uh, from New Mexico because it had to be authentic. Uh, that was the whole concept of the French government said, if you want a Mexican restaurant here, we have to have real Mexican food yeah. and so it's quite expensive obviously yeah. uh, but uh, and and strange thing about that was they had a happy hour which was kind of unusual uh, you know in, in Paris I mean they uh, at least that's why but he had uh, that that was interesting because he tried to make the the front of it look like some sort of ranch hmm. yeah i mean it really didn't work yeah <laughs> uh, I, I i it'd be interesting to know if that place was still in business yeah that was like 90 yeah i think 89 90 somewhere yeah. around there huh. uh, but uh, and so you know occasionally you'd get something like that mm -hmm. uh, but uh so yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun uh back then you know you could well, except for in Russia, uh, problems with a camera there. But anywhere else, if if you showed up and and uh, said, you know, I'm here to photograph something, nobody ever questioned anything. Hmm. It was amazing. Uh, now you couldn't do that in a million years. Uh, but back then, things were a lot easier to operate in. Uh, so, so what did you... What do you think you got out of it personally? Uh, you, know, you you said you would be able to just kind of show up with a camera. Everybody was very accepting. What what was yeah. that like? You know, what what did that give give you your your career in that? Well, it it, it gave you some sort of credibility. I mean, you know, people thought, for one thing, using a four by five camera, uh, nobody else, you know, everybody that had cameras would be a thirty five millimeter. 
four by five was, you know, I've never seen anything that size or how do you operate that? You know, it wasn't just press and uh, a button. You actually had to do all kinds of load film and all that. So uh, from that standpoint, you were considered more artistically than just out there snapping, uh, you know, shots. I mean, it, uh, so you, you got a, a lot of self-satisfaction out of, especially when you get your images back and you would see that, ah, that worked. Yeah. You know, I, I got that. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, sometimes you get them back and it's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's for Polaroids. I mean, you, always, you, you would have a 4x5 film holder, a Polaroid holder, and you put a sheet of Polaroid film in and then you would uh, take the shot and it'd be in black and white and you could look and make sure everything you know was set up mm -hmm. uh, correctly, and a lot of times the especially interior designers they like to be there uh, because they you know a lot of times the stuff that they put in had been moved so oh, yeah. move it back or they had actually bring stuff in to go ahead and set the shot up and mm -hmm. uh, but uh, architects were a little more lenient uh, they always seemed to be too busy to. <laughs> show up but not always sometimes they were yeah. uh, so do you have any highlights from your career that you could that you think back on fondly uh well i, I guess that russian trip uh yeah let's was, get into that a little bit you were talking the strangest about thing uh well i uh to begin with i i i decided that uh i was going to do this as inexpensive as I could because I wasn't really making much money off the so I actually took a tour uh, knowing that as soon as I got over there I was not taking any tours you know I was uh, and uh, so I showed up in Moscow and uh, uh, got in the hotel uh, and the next morning I called up the embassy and uh, I I can't remember what the the number was, but the last four digits was like 2000, no answer. This was actually on a Sunday uh, that I got there. And I saw I dialed 2001, 2002, 2003, and finally I got the duty officer. And I told him who I was and I was here to photograph because uh, the magazine hadn't even contacted hmm. the embassy. Uh, there's another thing that would never happen to them. Yeah. Uh, and the guy, uh, duty officer, said, well, let me, I'll call up uh, the residents and uh, we'll see if we can set this up. And so I, the ambassador's wife uh, got on the phone uh, and she said, yeah, I know the editor of that magazine, so come on over uh, and she gave me the address and uh, she said I the the ambassador it was over I think it was in Sweden or, or uh, Denmark one of those but yeah to pick up the Secretary of State who happened to be uh, uh, Schultz uh, back then and uh, he's coming over here for some meeting and he's staying here and and the Pentagon has sent a uh, 
a Marine here to sweep the house, debug it, and everything. But since I know the editor of that magazine, come on over. So I had to go get my passport, which even back then, uh, the, the tour guides uh, were KGB agents. Now, I think everybody realized that. But, so it was very difficult getting my passport because they did not... I remember she was scared to death that you know, I was going to do something or whatever. But she finally, I said, you know, look, that's my embassy and I'm going to it. And so she finally uh, allowed me to have my passport. So I got in a cab and went over. And uh, when I got there, of course, the Russian had a guard out front and I showed him my passport and then he let me in. So uh, got in and, and uh, the ambassador's wife uh, took me in to where the tapestry show was that I was going to photograph. And uh, she said, uh, I, this is a new Marine. We've never met this guy before. and We don't really know who he is. Because I guess normally they would travel. Mm. Uh, you know, but anyhow, for whatever reason, this was somebody who'd never. And she said, now, uh, I'm telling you that if he comes in the room, just drop whatever you've got in your hands and hold your hands up. And I was like, yeah, right. Yeah. I said, you got to be kidding me. And she said, no, we don't play games over here. That guy will shoot you. <laughs> well, and, and would you like to have some coffee? And so I said, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> and, and she leaves. And, of course, I start photographing the show. And every little noise that I hear, I think it's him. You know, I mean, I'm... It, it was very nerve-wracking, and she came in with the coffee, and of course that even, you know, I could see somebody, hearing somebody walking in there. Anyhow, uh, I never saw the guy. Oh, okay. I, I have no idea where, because it, it was, I mean, that house is quite large. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, so I left there, and I walked over to catch a cab, which was on the main street, I forget, the house was like two or three blocks off the main thoroughfare. I remember what the name. Anyhow, uh, and across, I could see. I mean, we're talking uh, what third uh, late February. Hmm. It was freezing out there. It must have been ten below, and people were across this this large highway that. Uh, I could see them, they were eating outside, and I thought, oh, this is too good to be true, I haven't <laughs> passed this up. So I, uh, you could go, uh, there was like a tunnel that went under this, the, the street, and I went over there, and there was some guy that was uh, roasting meat. It was like, one Texas barbecue, by <laughs> but, you know, it was, they said it was like barbecue. Yeah. And they, uh, so you stood up on, they had tables that were quite high, and you stood there and ate, and uh, they were like kebabs that, you know, it was good. So I, I did, and suddenly I had two guys uh, that started saying, where are you from, uh, where at in New York, you know, and, yeah. and uh, I thought, wow, this is, and they just kept talking more and more and more. I mean, in English, broken English, but right out there, I mean, that was strange and 
uh, a lot of this I found out after I got back, but at the time I had this strange feeling that I needed to get the heck out of there. And uh, so I answered two or three questions and I'd finished eating. Uh, plus it was, I was freezing by yeah. now. And uh, so I went over and just as I got to the edge of the street, uh, one of those gypsy cabs that they had, a guy got out of it and I hopped in and uh, left. And by, I could see these two guys running to a car where there was another guy there. Well, the afterthought when I got back was that I found out that they always traveled in threes. So that way there would always be, you know, a third person that could verify that so-and-so didn't do something. Huh. And uh, so uh, that was uh, kind of exciting. When I got back to the hotel and I gave my passport back to the, the guide, I was telling her this, and she was just like, terrifying you know and, uh, so uh, that was the first uh, incident I actually had three and when I was over there the second one was when I went to this nightclub to photograph it uh, I just walked in checked my coat uh, had my camera bag and uh, with me and and uh, so there was a guy that was doing what's called party pics, which you walk around, take snapshots of people, you know, at the table and everything. Yeah. And it, the place was packed with people, and there was a stage, and there was a girl singer uh, that was up performing. And uh, and this was the underground nightclub yeah, that you had yeah, been sent uh, over? Yeah. So it must not have been that underground. Well, I, I think it was, yeah, it probably wasn't, <laughs> but it was probably illegal as could be. I yeah. mean, it was, you know, because they weren't supposed to uh, have any of that rock and roll stuff going yeah. on back then. Even though with Gorbachev, a lot of that was starting to change. And, uh, but it, there was an upstairs, and I, I thought, well, I'll just go up and uh, go upstairs and get everything, uh, you know, the camera out. And, of course, it was, light was very low, so, you know, I was going to have to use a flash. Yeah. And I thought, well, that party pit guy, uh, I'll just kind of blend in, you know. <laughs> so I, I went downstairs and I started photographing. And But the strange thing was that party pit guy would stop, take down names and oh, addresses right. and get money. This guy was just walking around taking <laughs> photos. And, uh, uh, and suddenly I felt a hand on my shoulder and it was one of the waiters. And he said something to me and pointed to the door, and I knew that that was enough to get out of there. So when I got over to where uh, the coat check thing was, there was a guy standing there with my coat, ready to put it on. Yep. And so I thought, well, this, uh, this is really weird. Yeah. Uh, and so I walked out the door, and for some reason, I thought, get away from this place. I, uh, you know, it's just an instinct you had. And so I walked about a, two blocks, and about five police cars with sirens showed up at that place. Oof. Now, that could have been a coincidence. Something else was going on. But, uh, and once again, I was lucky. I saw uh, one of those gypsy cabs, and I waved, and the guy took me and went back. 
that episode, however, I did not tell. Uh, oh, you didn't the tell the tour guy? No, no. <laughs> did you at least get the pictures you, yeah, you were yeah, sent no, there to get? Yeah, All right, yeah. that's great. And uh, and then the other, when we got into, uh, well, we went to uh, Kalinin and uh, what was the other place? Uh, one other. I can't remember what that was, the city. But the uh, the we ended up in what now is St. Petersburg, but it was Leningrad back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, we picked up another agent uh, that started really questioning me about stuff. And, you know, I was pretty uh, brazen back then. Mm -hmm. I mean, but for some reason, uh, I, I terrified of heights until I have a camera in my hand. Now I'm probably terrified with a camera, yeah. but back then I could I could go anywhere with a camera, and it was kind of like a a shield, uh, you know, it kept you. Uh, and I've uh, read about war photographers. That's kind of what they have. They feel like that camera, you know, even though it doesn't always work. But uh, so uh, I I was. You know, you might say uh, totally naive, but uh, uh, it, it worked. And when we got over to St. Petersburg, which was a beautiful city, even though it was the ocean was on the frozen over and everything, yeah. that was uh, uh, interesting. But uh, it, it just dawned on me that, you know, maybe uh, I was getting a little oh, out, over the edge. <laughs> and when I got back to New York and I, and I was reading in the New York Times, they did a whole s uh, series uh, on what, it would, what went on in, in the Soviet Union back then. And everything uh, that had happened uh, to me made sense now. The other thing, when I was in Moscow, I went down to the uh, subway and uh, there was a, the subway system over there, I mean, it's very deep. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was coming back up and a guy gets in behind me, perfect English, starts talking and asking me questions. And I thought, now how on the earth did you know, first of all, I spoke English. Yeah. You know, I mean, I didn't look, I didn't think any different than anybody else. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, he uh, just all the way up, which was about two minutes, uh, one, uh, you know, where I was from and hmm. all of that stuff. So, uh, but it, it worked out okay. But that all sounds really fun now when you're talking about it, but that must have been terrifying. Well, but like I said, I was naive. Yeah. I mean, I, at the time, there was all, I used to walk around Manhattan uh, photographing th things because uh, I lived in Connecticut and I would go in. And there was just this feeling that, would, that came over me a couple times. There was no logical reason. It just was like, fear, get out of here. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it, there was nothing, but it just hit you all at once. And I think that's what, you know, basically happened there was uh, I just got away from a situation. Of course, they had no idea where. 
But it could have. Well, actually, nobody knew where I was staying. Mm. You know, so so I, you could have uh, disappeared. And I'm sure the heck knew, knew that the the tour guide was not going to say, "Oh yeah, well, I've got him over here," because that would reflect <laughs> on her. Right. You know. So, uh, but yeah, and I uh, the only other place I ever had trouble with was down in Mexico, but but uh, th that you know was to be expected. And what was that? Uh, well, I had, uh, was photographing a, a, a I, I'd gotten a, an assignment from this uh, magazine to try to go uh, do a story on uh, ranch, uh, a, a real live Mexican ranch mm -hmm. out in the, you know, way out. So I had gone over uh, to this uh, place and uh, that was, was Creel, Mexico, which was a beautiful spot, uh, but it was very secluded. And I'd taken a train over there, and act, act, after I had finished, uh, uh, actually I went to a ranch, uh, had no electricity, uh, uh, I mean the horses were not in very good shape, say mm -hmm. the least, and the cows were even in worse shape. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, so I was going back uh, to Chihuahua, which is where I would uh, would take the train back to uh, El Paso. And uh, it was a, a two-car tr train. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it, it was self-contained type thing. There was no engine or, you know, yeah. I mean, there was an engine, but it wasn't a long train. Right. And it was about 2.30 in the morning, and we were within, oh, 30 minutes of being in, uh, uh, well, El Paso or Juarez was what, you know, was across. And suddenly it stopped. There was no pa no electricity on I mean, it's all black all yeah. the way, and uh, so the army, the Mexican army, boarded the train, and they were inspecting everything, and they were obviously looking for drugs. Yeah. And this was when you know uh, the DE. Well, I guess they still do. The DEA was down there, and they were the Mexican army at that point was trying to make things look good. Uh -huh. uh, so. Uh, and I didn't speak any Spanish, but uh, so the guy came up and he looked through my, my camera bag and everything, and and uh, he started yelling at me in Spanish. I had no idea what he was talking about. Yeah. And uh, so the, there was a kid sitting next to me that was going to El Paso, and he spoke English and Spanish. Mm -hmm. And and you know he said he wants your visa, uh, and I said, oh okay, so. I, gave it to him. And then the guy that was in charge came up and said, thanks for cooperating with us. Hmm. Uh, we are looking for contraband and all that. Well, I, I, it, you know, I, I didn't even think anything about that until I got back, read a big story about how they were planning drugs on Americans Ooh. so they could arrest them and make it look like they were actually getting stuff. Yeah. So after that, I I decide no more 
foreign country. <laughs> I, I mean, I figured that was probably the worst. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that, uh, and plus I was getting older. I, I think sometimes, you know, the older you get, the more cautious you are. Sure, so, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, those are all the adventures that, that I've actually had. Yeah. Well, though, I mean, it seems like you've had some adventures since you retired, too. What, what brought you up here to Eastport? Well, uh, I, well, my wife was retiring, and mm -hmm. I'd already pretty much stopped. Uh, and so I had lived in, in uh, Connecticut and Vermont years uh, before, and I loved New England. Uh, but first we thought, well, maybe we will try Nova Scotia in mm. Canada because I'd been over there and that. Uh, and so I went online and I found a, a place and uh, I sent a, a contractor out to see what it was, you know. And he said, you don't want that place. It's, it's going to cost you a fortune to get it in good shape. And, mm -hmm. and plus now that was after 9-11, so... They were really strict on six months. Uh, you, you could only stay in Canada for six months and you had to leave. So I got on the internet and I thought, well, New England, I'll just start. And there was an article in the New York Times about uh, what, say, $700,000 will get you in different. <laughs> so I clicked on that, but there was also an ad uh, down below for uh, I think it was a, a real estate place in Maine. And I thought, oh, I've been, once I'd been to Maine, and I really thought it was beautiful. So I clicked on that, and up came the easternmost part of the United States was Eastport. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I uh, knew absolutely nothing about it. So I clicked on and, and started looking at all the, the real estate, and I uh, flew up here uh, and toured a bunch of houses and went back and I said, well, I, you know, we probably enjoy living there. So uh, then we both came, uh, flew up and, and uh, we found this house uh, that we really, you know, liked. And uh, so that's how we got up here. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, we love it. Uh, I mean, you know, you got problems uh, like anywhere else, but uh, but every morning I get up and look at, out in the ocean and have deer running around all year round now, yeah. and uh, uh, it's very quiet, uh, no crime, uh, and it's just a nice place to live. Uh, I guess you you couldn't live in Canada, but you can look out your yeah. window and you can right. see Canada. Because, uh, New Brunswick just cross. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you see cars uh, going by. We're so close. Wow. Probably about I don't know half a mile hmm. uh, across. But uh, and now you were, uh, you also had a place in Florida, right? Yeah, yeah. We used to have a condo down in Sarasota, but we uh, just in uh, this year sold it. So we're uh, up here year round now. Yeah. Uh, so uh, and we missed last. The last winter that was terrible, uh, and this this pre one that just uh, we had was uh, you know was more to our uh, liking. Hopefully yeah. that'll be what it is. Yeah, because they had 188 inches of snow. Oof. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, 
and I, which broke all records. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, but, yeah, but I, I don't mind the cold, uh, and, and the snow is, uh, you know, normal. I mean, two or three feet's okay, but that was like seven, eight feet. Yeah. In fact, uh, we have photos of a woman who uh, watched our house for us. She actually walked up on the roof with snowshoes on because it was that high. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, That's amazing. But uh, anyway. So. so so what have you been doing uh, since you retired? Are you still taking pictures? Are you traveling? No. Uh, actually, I play in an orchestra. Right. Uh, believe it or not, there is a orchestra up here. Uh, we have uh, members from Canada and uh and from the u.s also uh and it's it's actually quite a good orchestra i uh we used to play in canada well we give two uh we have a fall concert and a spring concert and we play in three different venues each time uh and we used to play over in canada for one in in saint andrews but uh now we're we just do the three in, uh, in the states and they bring people in uh, to, you know, fill out whatever the part, what we need uh, mm -hmm. for whatever the composition is. And we also have guest uh, pianists, like just last weekend was our uh, spring concert, and we had an excellent pianist uh, that, that came and played with us. So, uh, we, you know, we get stuff like that, mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, uh, sounds so, like fun. So I, now I'm after 35 years, I'm back in the music. Yeah. So what brought you back after after all that time when you couldn't, uh, couldn't well, go to concerts? There, there was uh, uh, we we had some friends that actually lived up here, uh, and they were heavily into the orchestra, and uh, they kept after me and kept after me, and I said, you know, I. Uh, 35 years gone by, I wouldn't even know how to hold the thing. And, you know, a bassoonist is not, there's not a lot. I mean, that's kind of an unusual instrument. Yeah. And they didn't have any in the orchestra. And so I finally, I, I said, okay, so I'll try. Well, I still had my bassoon from 35 years ago, hmm. but it was a student model and, you know, after all those years, you needed all the help you could get. So I went out and bought a, a really a good one. Uh, and uh, that's been about what, four years ago I started. So, yeah. But it's it's hard. I mean, geez, you know. It wasn't like riding age. a bike? No. No? Well, I, I mean, you know, the fingerings are still there. Yeah. It's just the technique uh, is, is not what it was. So it's slowly coming back and just simple things like counting, you know, that you just would do automatically. That was the hardest thing for me, mm -hmm. was to be able to keep counting. Uh, but now I'm in pretty good shape on yeah. that, so. Now, how was that for you um, emotionally, mentally, you, after staying away well, from it over you years? know, I keep reading that uh, as you get older, you need to stimulate your brain, uh, and that has done that. Yeah. Uh, so in that respect, it's been quite nice. Mm. Uh, but uh, there's also, I mean, there's a lot of stress factor that goes to that, mm. you know. So and that's probably good. Yeah. Uh, Keeps you young. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Taking and, care of this house keeps you young, actually. Yeah, this house was quite an ordeal for you, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We spent three years uh, rent, having it renovated. I didn't do the work, but mm -hmm. uh, it took that long. Cause, and it's a, a historical house built in 1802, uh, before the War of 1812. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, that housed British soldiers, because Eastport is the only time that the U.S. has ever surrendered land. Hmm. And the British Armada came into the port out here and aimed the guns, because uh, there's a fort, Fort Sullivan that's just up the hill, and said, surrender or we'll completely annihilate this. So the guy that actually built this house uh, is the one that surrendered. Really? He was the, uh, what do you call it? He was in command of the militia yeah. here, and uh, fortunately he had to, yeah, otherwise it probably wouldn't have been an East Point. Right. Yeah, but, uh, so it's, it's been, uh, I mean, we love this house, obviously. It's mm -hmm. large enough that uh, Ruth can be at one end and I can be practicing or listening to music and never know it. Yeah. Uh, so we don't disturb each other in that respect. But yeah. uh, it, it, it's inter what, what's really interesting is there's people have signed their name uh, or carved their uh, their name in and that, with the date mm. uh, uh, 1889 and mm. stuff like that. So you you kind of get a feel for you know that there was a lot that went on in this house yeah. over the last. 200 years uh, and uh, but yeah we love it well so. according to you is uh, at least one tenant who yeah. hasn't left well there uh, I very skeptic about <laughs> any sort of para uh, stuff that involves ghosts and I have I've had two incidents where uh, I actually the first time I saw this uh, woman that, that looked like she was about four, six, four, seven, uh, tall, just ran down the hall. Uh, and I was upstairs and I looking down on, and, uh, it really frightened me because I, like I said, I don't really put much faith in that stuff, but mm -hmm. Once you actually see something like that, it, it, and so, and, and I, first of all, I thought that uh, Ruth was here, but I didn't figure out how could she possibly have gotten back because we both were in the other end of the house and I had left to come up here and uh, to the front of the house and there was no way she could have beat me. Yeah. And, and then running that fast down was, uh, so it was really frightening. And then about two years after that, I was sitting uh, in a, 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 a room upstairs uh, and I saw her and she just walked right through me and, and walked on out. And, but I was more calm then because I, uh, you know, it wasn't something totally new. Yeah. But that's the only time. I haven't seen her in what, two years now. Are you on the lookout for no. her all the time? Well, you know, I mean, 
But there's, I'm not the only one in, in Eastport, uh, I guess because these houses are so old yeah. and if there is such a thing, uh, there's been several sightings of ghosts here. Uh, and, but they don't hurt you. Yeah. Yeah, but it was strange having her just walk right through. Yeah, what is that? What is that like? What are the uh, sensations? Well, you know, I could I, I was sitting there and I looked over it was to the side and I and she just was just coming right at me and I thought, God, am I going to feel this? I mean, it didn't look like she's going to stop and she didn't. And it just went right through and and I, you know, turned real quick and I see her walk out the door. And that was it. Uh, Did you but, feel anything? No, absolutely nothing. No, I kept and I thought I was going to, you know, because yeah. I'm like, okay. but no, there was no feeling or nothing. That is uh, the scariest thing I've ever heard, yeah. especially knowing that you're a skeptic. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, uh, and you know, I still am yeah. to a certain degree, but I have had those two uh, incidents that where it makes you uh, kind of think well maybe yeah. makes you skeptical uh, about yeah. your skepticism yeah right yeah yeah <laughs> uh, and uh so but i always kind of make a joke of it that uh you know the first time i saw her she had on five inch stiletto heels because i you know i i don't want people to think well god that guy's a nut yeah you know uh but uh, uh so yeah it was just uh, one of those things where you you see something that you don't believe in, and then when you see it, it makes you stop and think, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, if I saw her, her regularly, uh, that might be different. Uh, but twice in seven years, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe she's left. I, maybe. maybe she didn't like the way, uh, you know, the house is, looks now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. didn't like your remodeling? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, so that, that, and the other thing about the house is that we do have a secret room, uh, and apparently Eastport was part of the Underground Railroad back mm. in the, uh, and the area, the, there is a, a, a room that you could probably, at the most, you might be able to pack three people in comfortably, four if you really, you know, had to, mm -hmm. uh, and, uh. Uh, one of the previous owners, uh, I called him up to find out, uh, s you know, something about the house because there was stuff like in the library here, the stained glass windows and and uh, some other things that I didn't know what, you know, uh, I'm sure that they weren't original. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he just uh, says. Oh, by the way, have you uh, found the secret room yet? And I was like, no, I didn't even know there was one. And so he tells me where it is, and I never found it. Even I, though you knew where it was. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, and, and one day I had a, a, a person working over here, and he accidentally touched something, and it moved, and sure enough, there it is. Huh. So it is quite well hidden. Yeah, uh, you know. But uh, so, what do you put in there now? Nothing. Ah, no, no. I, I uh, <laughs> uh, you know, we've had people come over and say, "Oh, where is that room?" And I said, "Well, it's secret." Yeah, there's a reason it's called yeah, secret. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
So I don't know if, if they ever had any anybody that you know stayed there, but uh, obviously it, it could have been because yeah. there was a lot of of uh, slaves that went over uh, to Canada mm. during that period of time to escape. And, mm. uh, I guess this was part of that because well. they could you know. This uh, Eastport is well known for back in the 1800s as a smuggling uh, place to Canada because we're just, yeah, especially right we there. have a lot of fog uh, and there's no way that once that fog comes in that you can see anything and, you know, even a clipper ship uh, uh, or a schooner uh, with sails uh, doesn't take very long to get to Canada. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that went on in this uh, town. Plus, it used to be the sardine capital of the world. Mm. Uh, and, uh, of course, that's all gone now. Yeah. But, uh, Replaced uh, by little restaurants and shops. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's not a bad place to retire. No, I, I, it, it actually is quite nice. You just have to, like, now I'm starting to prepare for the winter. Yeah, it's, it's June, wood. by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and... Uh, uh, getting wood, uh, you know, for uh, to burn all yeah. winter long and everything. So, yeah, you know, you do a little bit of uh, preparing. And it's still cool outside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's chilly uh, today. I think it's like the fifties, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is nice when you see that Phoenix is a hundred and something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was really nice talking to you. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah, you taking the time. Yeah. It's fun fun uh, getting to know you. Thank you yeah. for, for uh, sharing with me. Okay. Thanks, Thanks. a lot. Uh.